Welcome to The Healthy Beast. This week I'm talking to Nick Dewardin. He's a journalist and he's also written several books, fiction and non-fiction. But the one we're talking about today is called Get Well Soon. It's about Nick's long battle with chronic fatigue syndrome and he writes very entertainingly about how he tries to beat it using a whole load of alternative medicine therapies. I don't know what you're thinking. Chronic fatigue, alternative medicine. Mm. The good thing about this book is that Nick asks the same sort of questions that I want to ask. Is chronic fatigue syndrome real? And is alternative medicine real medicine or just a load of hippie nonsense? He asks the same questions, but I'm not entirely sure that I agree with his conclusions. But have a listen and you can judge for yourself. Nick Jewardon, I just literally about half an hour ago got through reading your book, Get Well Soon. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for reading. And I didn't expect to. When I hear about alternative therapies, mm. I think I'm, it's one of those ones where you kind of pick a side and I think I'm slightly on the sceptical side. Oh, me too. Me too. But, but that's, what, that's what drew me in and made me want to read it because I realised that you were yeah. coming at it from that point of view. But for people who haven't read it, you, you're doing it for a specific reason. Yeah. I mean, this was a book I was never going to write and I was never going to get into alternative therapy because there was no need. I had no interest. And then about eight years ago, I think at the end of 2011, I became mysteriously ill. I got flu. The third time in about 18 months. It was really bad. And I've not really had it before like this. So, you know, two weeks in bed, barely able to crawl out of bed. And I never quite recovered. As soon as I felt halfway to human, again, I would go out to the shops and huff and puff and come back with flu symptoms again. If I went swimming again, the flu would come back the next day. If I cycled, flu would come back. So... I slowed down and slowed down and at my wife's insistence I went to the doctor and they did all sorts of tests over six months and said, you're fine, you know, the blood tests are coming back normal. So they referred me to an immunologist and there was a three-month waiting list and I hadn't been referred really quite poorly. I had no idea what was wrong so I just ignored everything and waited for it to pass so I could resume normal life. And it was the, um, the immunologist, you only get to see them for 10 minutes. So you, it's almost like I went in one person and came out, someone completely different. And um, we were chatting away and he, um, he said, you don't strike me as depressed. And I said, no, because he'd ask questions like, oh, has there been a death in the family? What's the state of your marriage? And my answers seemed to be disappointing him because I wasn't leading him where he hoped. So he said, that's when he said, oh, you sound quite depressed. And um, normally that's what we look for in cases of chronic fatigue or ME. And I thought, what's that? I vaguely heard of them. Nothing to do with me. So I kind of skimmed over it. But he said, the thing is, you don't have the right criteria because if you had these illnesses, you wouldn't be able to function as you're doing. You certainly wouldn't be able to work. So to be honest, I don't know what is wrong with you. Just relax, rest, do a bit of yoga, good luck. And he looked at the time and it was the 10 minutes were up. So he waved me on my way. So essentially he scared the life out of me and sent me home. But he told you you had one of these things or you no, might he, have one of he these would things. have said he would have diagnosed that but there are a whole list of criteria that you have to meet to have that to qualify for one of his go on. but these are these are criteria that, that these are not things they test for these are like things you yes symptoms you report yes symptoms that I yeah. report that they discern so among a big change in mood and, and sleep um, you have something called brain fog so you can no longer 
focus on anything. You couldn't work as I was doing. My tiredness was purely physical. If I went out, my body didn't seem to recover as if I'd run a marathon and I hadn't. I'd gone to the corner shop. Um, But if you have chronic fatigue or or ME, the brain fog means that energy doesn't travel to your brain either. So you can't follow the news on television. You can't read a book. And I was watching the news, reading a book and working. So he said, oh, that that doesn't quite match up. Uh, You seem far more alert to me than you should be. You're talking a lot and you seem in control. Basically, you you had it, as far as he could see, you had it, but you had like a not as bad version of it. I guess so. I had a physical tiredness. So I had fatigue and it was chronic because it had been going on for more than six months. But there was no cloud above me that he expected to see. There was no depression. So because he couldn't tick the relevant boxes, I didn't qualify for further help from him. So I was, it was essentially, he was essentially saying, well, I don't know what to do. Good luck. So the NHS kind of, I I guess, closed the door. I suppose they... Which is why I went to alternative therapy route, down the alternative therapy route. They tend to look at you and if you're not about to die, they're sort of, off you go then. Yeah. seem all right to us so how you might be in the rest of your life is sort of mm. yeah unless you have something that they can identify readily and say we can do this for you i didn't so i had some really interesting experiences along the way that so he said that he has um, a course in cognitive behavioral therapy which doesn't treat the physical symptoms but it treats the psychological ones so basically if you're freaking out over this awful thing that you've got we can make you freak out a little bit less. So he said, you don't have the full criteria, but, you know, come on my course anyway, it'll probably help you. So I had to go through a questionnaire and I failed the questionnaire. I was too, I'm not sure if happy is the right word, but... This I, is to be depressed or to have CFA to Both, to, to, oh, have, so to, to have CBT. Yeah, it was, oh, it was really weird. So it was a, because I couldn't go there because I was so tired, we did, the, the, we did a phone interview and we went through a series of questions which I subsequently learned is something that everyone goes through. It's the same questionnaire whether you're suicidal, whether you've got cancer, whether you have whatever I had. And so... I was very chatty with the woman. I made her laugh a couple of times at the things we were saying. And she said, OK, I'm sure this would be good for you. Everything you've gone through over the last few months, we can help you. I'll be in touch in two weeks and let you know what happened, or whether you qualify. I'm sure you will. And she got back and said, I'm so sorry, I've got bad news, but I've gone to my boss and you don't qualify. You're, you're, you're too happy and you're too good and you don't sound as in need of help. And then she said this really interesting thing. Can we do the questionnaire again and maybe think more carefully about your answers? So she was oh. extending me this courtesy saying, I want you to qualify, but to qualify, you need to have over these this mark and I had under it. So I, I had to try to sound as if I were more depressed than I was feeling because I wasn't feeling depressed. I was feeling shocked and bewildered and cowed by what had happened to me. But I was then determined to get well again. How do you, what is the difference between shocked, bewildered and cowed? I don't know, and depressed and like? Um, from what others told me, I got up every morning happy mm. to get up. I went to work every morning. My office was upstairs uh, then and I, I loved my work. I could no longer fly all over the world to interview people, but I could interview people via Skype and telephone. And I still engaged with my wife. Our children were five and three then, and I was still part of the house. I just, every time I went out and did anything, I was exhausted. So the depression, I I don't think I've ever felt depression. If I have, I've certainly had sad times in my life, but I could get out of bed. So lots of the questions were, when was the last time you felt suicidal? And I thought, well, unless I'm fooling myself, I, I haven't felt suicidal. 
Do you have difficulty getting out of bed? No. Do you have difficulty sleeping? No, I'm exhausted. I sleep all the time. Not a problem. So, and so, but you're working, yes, and you meet your deadlines. Yeah. And what do you do when you're not working? I read. I, you read books, yeah. All the way through, yeah. And you f- don't forget what's going on. In no, hmm, you, don't have, you don't have chronic fatigue as we understand it. So then I would say, okay, well, what can we do? And then again, I'd hear the same response. I don't, I don't know, but look, good luck. It's a tough one to understand, I guess, because obviously reading this in a, in, through the book, you're, you're aware that you've, you know, you've achieved quite a lot during this time when you've written, you've written the book, you've, you've worked. There were times when you had to work a lot less, right? Mm, yeah. Um, so I guess looking at the overall achievements, it's not, you don't get the, maybe the full picture of how bad it was at times. Because you said you mm. couldn't pick up your daughters. And, yeah, I think... I don't know what goes on in the mind. I'm not particularly clever, so I don't know how much I disassociated from what I was feeling. And perhaps I was feeling far worse than I allowed myself to believe um, mentally. But yes, yeah, so physically, I could, there was so much I, I couldn't do. So I couldn't go to the school gate. I couldn't take my daughters to the park. And in the summer holidays, when, when I first, just after I saw the, the, um, the immunologist for the first time, the school summer holidays broke up a month later. So I had a, um, an energetic five-year-old bouncing off the walls wanting to go out and couldn't understand why suddenly I wasn't taking her because normally I would strap her to the bike and we'd go for five miles and just, you know, do stuff. I'm not very good at sitting down and relaxing. I have to be out doing stuff. So to suddenly be the very opposite of that was confusing and it was certainly miserable. I was not happy in this time at all. But again, going back to what we were just talking about, me having to fulfil a certain criteria in order to get treatment and purportedly effective treatment, I did didn't qualify so I was on my own so my wife did an awful lot of research for me online because you know you google am I ill you know google is very good at scaring the crap out of you and it worked I the very first time I did look I read headlines like living hell no known cure um so I thought is this me no known cure at my age and I felt um, a long so time you, you were early 40s I was 42 I think yeah time. And so, you've been, so you've been active riding your bike and stuff before? Riding bike, swimming, walking. I never really stopped. I was always very fast and... And, and not, when you say not being able to do things physically, right, what, what does that feel like? So I'm trying to get a sense of if, you, if the importance of the task was such that you had to you know, walk a short distance, what would you physically feel? That it was quite... Did seize up or you just... just it was like... I could. I was aware of every fibre in my body, and every fibre was tingling. With I don't know how I can describe it as exhaustion, but it felt. I felt almost tied in my cheekbones, which I know is a ridiculous thing to say because what on earth does that feel like? But I just my eyelids were so heavy that I just wanted to to close them. I found I could sit at my desk and keep them open and work because I felt if I were to give in to it during the day, then that way madness lies because I'll just become mulch if I'm not keeping my brain firing. So I pushed on through wherever possible to work, to meet deadlines, telling nobody about this at all. But I couldn't push through physically because my body just wouldn't go. So, you know, I felt like a flat tyre that you were pushing uphill. Um, You know, I'm sure there are many other things I could, you know, draw reference to, but it was that bad. It was, you know, if there was something upstairs in the house I had to say to my five-year-old can you go and get it because it was otherwise I wouldn't um you know I'd be sitting on the sofa uh in the evening thinking oh, it's time to go up to bed soon right here we go this is going to be fun uh it was so even the, even getting up the stairs to bed yeah yeah and then you know I so I would force myself to to feed the kids to 
you know, give them a bath and then read to them. And reading to them was really hard because it was 7.30 at night. By that time, everything was catching up with me. And they wanted one chapter and then another chapter. And then I all but crawled to my bed and lay on top of the duvet because I couldn't get under the duvet. I was going to get under the duvet later, but not just yet. So I would be, I'd be asleep by 8, 8.30. Um, I'd wake the next morning completely unrefreshed and shattered. And this went on for months and months and months. And I was aware of, you know, every minute. So after a while, I'm sure a form of depression certainly kicked in because my life as I had known it had stopped. But I did feel this real sense of mental determination that it wasn't going to, I was going to say it wasn't going to beat me, which sounds incredibly naff. Um, but I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm ill. I'm going to take care of myself belatedly and I'm going to get better and things are going to return to normal. So I suppose I didn't really let the blanket of depression come over me completely because I had a job to do and the job was me. I suppose. So getting yourself better for yeah. your family. And, yeah. And so, like a lot of people, you went to alternative medicine because you weren't getting what you needed from your doctor. Yeah. And what, what was now, a few years later, are you, your cynicism about these practices, are you changed your mind on a lot of them? Any, anything you still think about? Yes, I have. Yeah, a little. Yes, I, I haven't become the zealot that I hoped I would become like some of they are because they have lights in their eyes. But not. I think I thought that they would be, if not mad or opportunists then they would be almost literally extraordinary people and I thought oh will I become an extraordinary person but I, I my conclusion now several years on is that I, I remain one of the ordinary ones but I've learned a lot from them so I didn't turn to alternative therapy at first once the NHS dispensed with me not cruelly they just didn't know what to do and that's fair enough you know they could mend a broken leg very well and if I had cancer or when I get cancer in the future if I'm likely to do statistically I'm sure they'll be amazing but in this case they weren't able to help me and that I, I can understand that and appreciate it. it was difficult to know what was wrong with me if, if they didn't know how on earth are they to treat me so I waited to get better I stopped pushing myself I at last learned to relax I improved my diet, although my diet was pretty good anyway. I found I couldn't drink anymore. Alcohol would just implode within me, so I, so that was quite hard not being able to... Because you suddenly no longer have fun. Changing your diet is not that much fun either. So I waited very patiently, and I think, again, it was my wife who was the driving force behind all of this. I think after a year, I had normalised this. My new normal was fairly miserable, but I could operate within it, so I made sure... I was within the house and I could look after the kids while my wife worked and I could do as much work as I could do here and no more. And it became weirdly normal. But she clearly and very reasonably wanted to return back to some kind of semblance of normal life and said, are you going to do anything about this? There must be something else that you can do if the GP isn't going to help you, if our local hospital is not going to help. Let me look. So she did, again, an awful lot of um, research. This is a very contested area. So there are lots of angry people online and I really didn't want to become one of those angry people because I was still determined at some point to get better. So it's difficult to know which road to go down because if you choose this, lots of people say, this is great, it worked for me and I'm better now and I just ran a marathon yesterday barefoot. Whereas another strand will say, this is rubbish, it's nonsense, I've now been uh, bedbound for four years as a result. So it's very difficult to know where to go. So I was very, I was full of trepidation at first, but... I did, you know, a lot of research and I started to do some yoga as the immunologist had initially suggested all those months ago. I dabbled with meditation and then I went to see curious people like an energy practitioner who, 
who told me she had healing hands, that she would put on me when we were speaking about good things. The moment she said anything bad, she would take it off so as not to pass negative energy from her to me. How did you feel about the healing hands? Did you feel any benefit? No, I, I, no. I thought it was a fantastic life experience. I quite like you know new experiences, and this was great. She was amazing. She was a Duracell battery in, in a human form. She told me she had had severe chronic fatigue years earlier, many, many different um, illnesses that really hampered her life and now she was just a dynamo. So I took inspiration from her as a person but I felt no benefit and she said something along the lines of, you know, six to twelve sessions with me and you'll be good to go. But her sessions were very expensive. I kind of left each time with an arched eyebrow thinking, what went on there? There's loads of people willing to take your money, aren't there? Mm. And there was one particular guy that I, I sourced through work. As a journalist, I, I interviewed lots of different people and I got a press release through of, of someone who helps people in management become more effective, but he's also helped people with all sorts of issues in their life. So I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll email him, see, I could almost say, I'll write about you and I could be the guinea pig in this situation. This was long before I thought I was going to write a book. And I can't help but conclude that he was slightly opportunistic. He said, of course I can help you. Come along to one of my management seminars. But I had to reiterate what I'd already said in my first email, that I'm not a manager. I go to work in a pair of sweatpants and I'm quite tired. And I wondered if you could help with that. He said, oh, I see, I see. Okay, well, sometimes I do do work one-on-one with um, clients who have health issues. And I'm sure I can help you. And because I'm quite busy, we can do it all in a day. How does that sound? And I quite liked the idea of getting well in a day because I'd been ill for about 18 months at this point. And um, Who the, wouldn't? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I thought, well, this will fit. Yeah. I'll be back in time for dinner. I can cook yeah. for the girls. Yeah, then we'll go swimming. Let's see. And but he didn't address the fee. So I had to go back very politely and say, look, this sounds fabulous. I mean, how much, if you don't mind me asking? And that was £6,000 for the day. So including, I, did, I didn't take him discount up. For all I know, it was it's, even um, more expensive. He was, yeah, he was giving me a good well, discount. Must, the thing is, think about all that money, he must be good. You know, he must, he be. must be. And <laughs> I looked down the sofa, and then I looked down the neighbour's sofa, and I couldn't raise the money. So, you know, so there you kind of felt, really, £6,000 is an awful lot of money. It's a leap of faith. And I think even if I could afford it, would I really spend it on that? Because would I be better? I don't think so. So there are definitely some opportunistic people out there. But a lot of these people I met were incredible. A lot of their research is scientific-based, and they do bang on about this a lot. I think they they are aware. Which ones? And a lot of the various ones you saw? A lot of the meditation talked. They didn't just want, you know, because there's such an air of falafel and open-toed sandals about so much of alternative therapy that we just laugh at. And so they, they would come along and say, well, no, 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 this is true. We've studied for years, and if you go to your, even your doctor will corroborate that this does, it lowers cortisol levels, it, it makes you relaxed more, it rejuvenates. They still didn't know what was wrong with me. There's some kind of mitochondrial misfunction. So my cells that produce energy don't produce energy as fast as yours. So because they don't know how to overturn that, most of the alternative therapies I indulged in taught me how to live with it and that if I could lower my reaction my responses to it then perhaps my body would be in a more healing state for longer and if it's in a healing state for longer you get better faster the body is very very good at healing and that does make sense if you're in a state of constant anxiety about what is wrong with you you're not going to bound out of bed the next day and what I found was I found that their optimism and that their drive was infectious. The NHS had ostensibly and effectively said no to me. And these other 
practitioners were saying, if not yes, then maybe. And I did them intensively, um, which I guess speaks a lot to how impatient I am. So I went from one to the next to the next to the next over the course of a year. And again, it was my wife who said, you're getting better. Are you aware of this? Because we went out on Saturday and Sunday and you were fine and normally you wouldn't be. So I think I was being infected with this optimism, this kind of can-do optimism that didn't seem as ridiculous or as fanciful as I had at first feared. But there's, I think there's a lot to be said for, for healthy, charismatic people spreading mm-hmm. that feeling to, to, to others, you know, yeah. getting them to live positively. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's the, I think people's perception, I think I'm probably like a, a lot of people with it, is when, when you talk to practitioners, they have this sort of militant approach where they feel they feel threatened by they have even they've got yeah. a word for the mainstream medicine I can't even remember what it is they've got some pejorative term <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me for, for, for mainstream medicine you know some sort of big pharma type name yeah. that, that that you know what they mean and it's a, it's as though everyone's out to get them and they because they band together it's like you can't really criticize any of it but when you talk to any <clears throat> sane people the one they always bring up is crystals Everyone goes, mm, not sure. And crystals is the one that, all right, that's where I'm definitely out. You know, yeah. someone holding some stones near my body, not, no. not doing it. No. Anything hovering above above the flesh, I'm out. But then you get down to, you know, I've, I've had quite a lot of acupuncture for various things. It seems to work to me. You know, it's plaus- it seems plausible, but I understand in terms of Western medicine proving it, it's, the jury's slightly out. But I mean, meditation and yoga... I don't really think they should be thought of as alternative medicines. No, not anymore. Because, no. they're, because the, these are proper physical things that you yeah. can do to yourself. You're causing your body to be in a more happy state. You're, yeah. and, and, and the mind follows, putting it very very simply. You're doing mm. physical things to your body. You're reducing the stress in your brain. Everything, it's all very clear, good physical stuff. Mm. So, so yeah, absolutely no problem with those. And I think it's assuming we have to lump it all together. Yeah. I think that's a problem. But I think that's why your book's good because you've 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 taken a kind of sane person's view and you've you've had this condition and you've kind of run through all these things yeah. and I think gained benefit from them but possibly gained benefit from some of them not because they're scientific medical therapies mm. but because you've had a positive experience with someone and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that no nothing wrong and if it works for you why be so critical about it and so many people are critical about it they did help me they didn't get me better but they led me on the path towards getting better and they made me think about it positively where I had been in a fairly negative state for for years by this point you know I went to to one guy who I mentioned in the book who does something called fuck it therapy yeah. which is quite you know which is a really clever way of approaching this because so many of us approach these things with caution and he was telling me he's a former advertising executive so he's quite clever at targeting people and he knew that many people would be put off by a lot of alternative therapy because of the whole crystals thing and you know that the big question mark that hovers above so much of it and he decided that if we call it fuck it let's just go for it you know just relax into it that will we would be attracted by the 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 rude word and we'll think maybe this one is for me maybe this one will work for me so i went along thinking this is going to be quite funny and silly but it wasn't it was you know he he studied with buddhists and he studied all sorts of um psychiatrists and medicine and western and otherwise and he's kind of put it all together and he says it worked for him and that was the interesting thing i think with all of the alternative therapists i met they've all gone through some incredible life threatening conditions or diseases or injuries mainstream medicine said you're not going to be able to perform or live as you had done 
And they went away and said, you know, like the pantomime dame, oh yes, I can. And they did. So they, it's difficult not to draw encouragement from those kind of people. And I really did. I said, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not quite in their league yet. I think, you know, looking at yoga as a, a positive thing and meditation, I think the opposite of that is being all yeah. knotted up, physically knotted yeah. up, mentally knotted up, stressed out, unhappy, yeah. and things things follow from there. So maybe yeah. there's something in just not being all knotted mm. up. And unclenched. Just, just yeah. unclenched and saying, yeah. fuck it. Yeah. And it really did work. It was um, surprisingly empowering. And it empowered me, if only, to go on to the next thing and the next thing. Some, as I said, you know, didn't quite resonate, like the lady with the, the healing hands. And some people I spoke to just seemed to be fairly negative and, and very critical about which, which other alternative therapies have you done? So I said, oh, I've done this. Oh, oh, you shouldn't have done that one. So they undo all of that good work. And so, okay, I go to them. And then but with the next one, they said, which alternative therapies have you done? Or oh, I did this. Oh, you shouldn't have done that one. Oh, so they, this were doing is... the, they, were, they were not doing the sticking together thing that I'm talking about. They were doing the... Some do, but... I found that, uh, especially in, within the arena of chronic fatigue, because a lot of the, the, um, the alternative therapies I did were for anybody and everybody with all sorts of conditions. But then I did some programs that were deliberately designed for people in my situation and worse. And while they weren't overtly critical, they didn't necessarily endorse it. They would say things like, well, this one, I think that one doesn't go far enough. And we've really honed ours in it. We've found in our studies that ours is more effective than theirs because of X, Y, and Z. And when you are the paying customer and paying a you know a lot of money, a weekend would cost me five or six hundred pounds, and you know I was of a very limited budget, and because I wasn't working very much anymore, it was even more limited. So, you are really investing not just time and hope, but you know your. So how many? So from that first, that when you were first told that you had this condition or that you might have it, was this seven years ago? You said. I think it was eight years ago. ago. Yeah. So. Beginning of 2012. And how are you now? I'm much better than I was then. Mentally, I'm much better. Physically, I'm much better. My body still doesn't work as it's supposed to. Diet has had a big impact. My because it's not. You need. We need a lot of energy to digest our food, and because my body seems to be not particularly good at um, regenerating energy, I struggle with that. So. So you get a I sense much that lighter. It, you get a sense that it just left your body with depleted energy. Yes, and that's that's something yeah. you have to live with. Now. That that flu <clears throat> strain that I got um, eight years ago seemed to be in a particularly bad one, and my body didn't manage to quite expel it, and or, or it's harmed it in some way. But I'm I'm out living an outdoor life again now, and I'm not just staring out of the window. So I haven't gone mad as a result, which I'm kind of relieved. At. And I have to say that one of the other th- forms of therapy was the writing of it. Because it was also mapless for me and so confusing and sometimes it was flatly terrifying. To be able to write my way through was incredibly helpful and at the risk of sounding, again, a bit naffy, I thought if I could write something that could help other people, then that would turn something that was very negative to me into some kind of positive. I think it's, I think it's, it's an entertaining book. It's what I think it is a helpful book because it's one of these things, like the reason it's that it's the two things coming together. They're two things that, polarise opinion because I remember the ME debate I had a and someone you had it growing up and you get the same thing with with chronic fatigue people saying is it all in the mind is it real you know all this it's an excuse for people to pick a side and it's often along the lines of of, of how sympathetic you may or may not be to the person who 
who is yeah. who is telling you about it but i don't think it really it particularly is important what the cause is i mean if people are suffering and they mm. they need help then they yeah, they, 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 they yeah. need help you know whether it's and i didn't particularly i don't think i had a, an issue with it being thought of as a psychological issue maybe, maybe it is but when you say that in print you get a lot of letters saying how, how dare you this is purely physical so and in the articles i've written since the book has come out people will pick me up on the fact that i said oh meditation help because they said well look this is where our health system is going wrong this is a physical it has a physical cause and we should be investing in looking into this physical cause so we can write this let's stop trying to help you cope with it let's try and beat it but then i got an awful lot of emails and letters from people who said thank you very much for writing this has really helped can can i ask you more questions and that's just been an incredible experience to have to, to go through i think yeah and i think you you're, you're right to focus on the, the positive feedback but when people are being negative is if they're saying it's a purely physical disease what would they then have you do exactly um little good question i'm not sure what i can do because i'm a sufferer as they are what their real beef seems to be with the health system as as it runs here at the moment in america they are far more focused on the fact that this is a this is a has a physical causation i think that's the right terminology and that they are looking into that and they're convinced that bodies, our bodies don't function as they should do. So we need to be investing into that. Whereas we're not doing that over here. So they're just rehashing their anger and it's perfectly legitimate anger. I completely understand it because it's wildly frustrating. If I had known eight years ago that in eight years time I would still be living my life according to these new strictures I would have I don't know what I would have done I would have thought no 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 it's impossible I can't but I have I've got used to it and I've extended those boundaries as um as I've gone along but it's it's a fairly miserable thing to think you're not going to get over this because early on I I had a fairly simplistic thought that after the 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 immunologist scared me and waved me goodbye that if I'd had cancer he or she would have you know they would have been incredibly proactive they would have operated on me and they would have fixed me or not but something would have been done so to be in the position where people say, we can't really help you, we don't really know what to do, is, is quite frustrating. And a lot of the people I've been interacting with online have had it for decades. So you can imagine that they can and get pretty pissed think, off after a while. Do you think you're going to have it forever? Um, I don't know. I'd like to say I hope not. But, you know, maybe. Maybe in some way. Because I kept on saying I wanted to go back to who I was. But what I didn't really think about is that I'm now eight years older than I was eight years ago. I'm older. I'm not as fit. So I was very fit then. I was constantly pushing myself. In the last eight years, I've sat down and read a lot of books. So of course, I'm not going to have that physical endurance. So my body is not going to respond the way it did when I was 38, when I was 28. But I'm I'm still expecting, or until recently, I was still half expecting it to. And I think I have to have more realistic expectations now that as one gets older, if you're not particularly fit and active, you're not going to feel particularly on top of things all the time. Yeah, but I, I suppose the thing I the thing I took pause at in the <clears> book, and the thing I possibly slightly disagree with, is they're two different things, right? So getting older and having the condition, they're two different things. But mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. So this happened, and it was yeah. a time in your life when you're, you know, we have. You know, I'm a few years younger than you, but not many. I'm mid forties, and yeah, things start to yeah start to go wrong. But I think to sort of look at life as an, an inevitable decline I think is something we all at this age owe it to ourselves to to do anything but mm, I could because, be wrong. because it's because it's very easy to see this is it and this is diminishing yeah you know this is my life lessening and if you look at it like that life's it's pretty shit and I'm not saying that's the attitude you've taken yeah. but you can't know you're gonna have it no forever 
And I'm working actively, I think, or at least I'm trying to work actively to remedying that, to, to, to getting better. But what this has left me with, and this is definitely a psychological um, impact, is I'm now far more, I'm not scared, but I'm careful. I manage my boundaries. I never used to. It didn't matter if I was tired. You know, I was always jet lagged. I was always uh, traveling a lot for work. It didn't matter. Go out the next day. I can just, I'm tired and I get on with things. But because the tiredness over the last eight years was so dreadful, I'm kind of scared to go back there. So I'm very cautious now in a way that I wasn't. That's what I'm trying to overcome. And whenever there are setbacks, I find I go back eight years. So last year, something very weird happened um, indirectly as a result of the publication of the book because quite a few medical types read it and they got back to me and I got some amazing emails and saying you've really helped in our understanding of it and in patients' understanding. And as I said, people wanted to know more. One or two people said, um, I can help you. You've been misdiagnosed all along. And it's difficult, in that situation, it's kind of difficult because you think, I don't know who you are. So you're trying to judge them by the content of their email, the way it's written, a website if there is one. And so I was incredibly grateful to anyone who got in touch with me. But with some people I thought, thank you, but you know, I, I, you know, I won't take this any further. But there was one email from a, a guy, it was such a nice, nicely considered letter that my confidence was inspired and he was convinced that it was musculoskeletal, that maybe I, I had done something to myself years ago, which it turned out I had. I'd almost broken my ankle, so I didn't put much weight on it for many, many years. And he says, as a result, you've ruined your... Um, skeleton it's all you know you're you're squelched up instead of being upright and what that does is it constricts things all inside you so maybe you're not taking as deep breaths as you need to and so you're restricting energy flow and also oxygen so it all sounded very black and white so i thought okay i'm going to um i'm going to investigate further he was three hours away on a train uh, and i wasn't really traveling much anymore but i thought there's this there's there's um you know recovery at the end of this line so i'm going to go and again, it was an amazing life experience. And what he basically did was write my wronged skeleton. But it was incredibly vigorous. And I subsequently learned that for people who are so depleted as I had been, this is the very worst thing that you can do. I, I didn't know this at the time. So he was hurting me a lot. And I went up two so or three times. he was manipulating your skeleton. What was he? Uh, he was an osteo. He was a physio, physio, yeah. And basically he had had terrible back pain he could barely stand up straight the uh, 20 years earlier the NHS says that we don't know what to do with you you're just going to have to hobble and he thought no 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 he taught himself and he got better and now the NHS parts of the NHS are looking at his model thinking we can help so many people as a result and he was very humble he said I just want to help you because I feel that in your book you're helping people and I just want to help you so he was lovely um, and I still feel that now even though it didn't work for me but he hung me upside down and turned me left and right and up you know he really and then he gave me these kind of, essentially these home torture kits to so continue. It didn't, it didn't help. No, it gave me the most spectacular crash that led me back to. Um, so why are you still? Why, one. I don't understand why you're talking warmly about this experience. No, no, not why. <laughs> he had no idea that was this he, was, was going to happen. Was he nice or something? Was he just a nice guy? Yeah, he was a really nice guy, and I still th- he was mortified when I told him what happened. Basically, I I started to feel as if I had no energy again after a week or two of seeing him, and because I was essentially hurting myself every night on his direction, you know, manipulating various pressure points. It was too much for my body to take. This is something I learned subsequently. And I was destroyed just again going to the corner shop. I'd come by thinking, oh, for Christ's sake, I feel like I did eight years ago. And all of that um, 
you know, that mental turmoil came back. And I guess I must have panicked and somewhere inside of me I catastrophized, which I never used to do before I was ill. But because I now had this touchstone of, you know, 2012 was the worst time of my life. I'm not going to go back there. So to suddenly find myself back there in the middle of trying to get better was was not great. And when I was very depressed then. I mean, I had a whole for a few months last year. So this was after you'd done the book, you'd done this thing and things yeah, have got worse. Yeah. So this is... And what I was, what I was, that was a circuitous, very, sorry, long-winded answer to your question, saying that, you know, we accept that when we get older that we're, we're winding down and things are going to be worse. We mm. should strive. I am striving to get better. And this was an example of striving to get better. This fella is going to fix me. I think, well, what's not to like there? And it didn't. So now I'm even more cautious. So I don't know how to take that extreme sense of caution I have that's invisible. Most people don't know it's there. But I'm, you know, if we talk about going on some holidays, I think, oh, how much are you going to knack me? Can I do this? Should we go out on Saturday? Or I'm constantly doing mental maths, see how much I can push myself without feeling dreadful again. It's very difficult to do that when I've gone to see people who are going to make me absolutely 100% better and then it makes me 95% worse. I don't know how to I don't think separate that and... I don't think there would be anyone who could make you 100% better. But mm. when, when, you, when it's at its very worst, so 2012 and then last year, what, what's the kind of, what's the nightmare scenario in your head? What's the worst you think it could, you know, because you're at, you're at that lowest point. And I know, because <clears throat> I'm not equating with depression at this point, but, you know, in people with depression, it's suicide, and that's always yeah. the worst point. And then with other illnesses, it's, you know... You know, cancer you can see the yeah. possible end what are you thinking what's the worst the worst case? thing I think is is <clears throat> not being able to work not being able to occupy my mind that if if I were to get it the way the we're told you know uh, chronic fatigue gives you brain fog and you know you, you can't do anything and you just sit around in bed a lot or lying down in bed a lot that would I think send me mad because I wouldn't have any real function. Um, I'm able to stimulate myself mentally. I miss riding my bike for hours a day and swimming a lot. And I've learned to cope without that. So I don't think I could sit at home and watch Jeremy Kyle. You know, that okay, so, so, what so this ability to function professionally yes, yeah. is this identity that you're... Yes, you're yeah, your identity is wrapped up in it. Yeah, yeah, I'm fortunate enough that I like... <clears throat> my job and I want to keep it but also obviously I want to be there and present for my wife and kids we've always had a lot of fun and I want to and in the, when it was very dark I stopped having fun because I spent all of my effort on trying to get better so after that relapse it was weird it was really hard and that was that was depression I'd never felt anything like that before and I found myself calling because I was panicking calling I think the, the anxiety lines mm. and they were busy so he said, please call back later. So that was quite interesting. If your problem's urgent, obviously. It was fascinating, urgent. yeah, because I thought... I called. Because I'm I'm so painfully self-conscious that it, I can't just call it. I have to almost look at my... Go outside of myself and look at myself calling, thinking, good God, this is you, that you're mm. in this position. So that was spectacularly bad last year, and it was so unexpected, given that... But that's the know, only time that you've, you've looked at it yourself and thought, that's depression. Yes, and then I... And how long did that last? Um... It, the relapse lasted for many months and the depression lasted for maybe a month and a half, two months. It was awful. And then I, I did that CBT test again, the questionnaire thing, because I thought, well, they've all said, everyone says cognitive behavioural therapy helps. 
So I thought, well, let's see if I can uh, qualify you can for it. Pass now, this time. I passed with oh, flying amazing. colours. Every cloud. Every cloud, exactly. But that was that was weird because I went to have it, and the woman was very nice. Um, she just wanted me to get on to antidepressants, and I said, "Well, I don't really think I, I need pills." And she said, "No, I'm just putting it out there for you." And she, she put it out there a lot, you know. An hour's um, session with her, and half an hour would be on why I should take antidepressants, and I thought I'm not going to go that way, and I got better by myself. So I'd waited eight years for CBT, I finally got it, and I thought, oh, I didn't need it in the first place. So that's slightly disappointing. But not just disappointing, it, again, it makes you feel quite alone and lonely, because you think, who do you turn to when you're not feeling really well? You know, If I'm awkward enough to have this weird condition that's not quite diagnosed, nobody fully knows how to treat, what do you do? You made a, a film reference that I didn't understand. I like the Trading Places one film reference in the oh, book right, yeah. but okay. the, 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 you, you made one about yes. um, it's a film I've seen a long time ago but you said you you were Jack Lemmon in The Odd Couple yes. you wanted to be Walter Mather and I can't remember oh. I can't remember which was what were the it's characteristics of the two Jack Lemmon you know Walter Mather is the alpha male yes. Jack Lemmon is the beta so you know Walter Mather you know he, he's a sports journalist um and he, he bets, he gambles, he drinks, he has fun, he dates, he goes out and dates people. Jack Lemon will um, catch a cold if anybody okay. passes him with a cold. He's sinus problems, his wife has left him and he can't get over her and he's suicidal. And so he's very, he's, he's very fragile. And so I'm, unfo- I realise then, yes, that's the conclusion to the book, is that I really want to be this tough guy who can kind of power through anything. And instead I'm someone who seems to pick up some, you know, something that, most people won't. I'm I'm one of those people. So this, unfortunately, see that was that was I I wanted to check because that's what I thought. Um, that was along the lines of what I thought you meant. Right? Yeah. But the reason this is the reason I wanted to ask you because there's three things then at the end of the book, right? So there's the chronic fatigue syndrome. There's yeah. growing older, hmm. and then there's who you are. Yeah. And those are those are three separate things, right? So I guess by putting them hmm. together at the conclusion of the book. When you're looking at your life, because we all have, you know, things we want to change in life. I guess when you're looking at it, I guess you're not possibly even sure yourself how which quantity of your life's problems are which of those three things. Did you see what I mean? I do. The book was never supposed to be exclusively about. And I'm not saying there should be an answer. I'm not saying there should be an answer. Yeah, I certainly don't have answers. But I think I think when two of them are things, well, I mean, your age you can't change. You can just you can just. Yeah, but you but you can change your attitude. You, you can. can change your age, and who you are. Mm. That's your business. But you know you can change it to the extent that you can change yeah. it. And then there's the then there's the chronic fatigue. So I guess not knowing how much is due to which is mm. is informative as to how you make your decisions possible. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you're influenced by what happens to you in your life. So the book, yeah, it wasn't just about the set of symptoms that I had. It was looking at, or at least it was trying to look at what happens to life when life suddenly becomes complicated. And we all know all our lives will become complicated for one reason or another. And it's how you cope. So I had this thing that was no known cure, living hell. And I tried my best to make sure that it wouldn't be living hell. And I think in that sense, I've succeeded. And my life has now, you know, as I said, I'm going on holiday again. I'm back on my bike again. Not swimming anymore, unfortunately. But I have 
found my way through this and I've negotiated out my way through it, which all of us will have to do at some stage in our lives for some reason. And I found ways to find strength through, you know, the book is basically about my, you know, um, a very fortunately good marriage. That, you know, my wife was wife there. And ama- it kind wife of, sounds amazing to the book, by the way. That comes, it kind that of brought across. us together again. You know, we had, again, you kind of, it's difficult not to fall into to cliche at some point that, you know, we've been together a long time. We had two kids and suddenly you're so focused on these two children who are wonderful, but God, you know, they take a lot out of you. And you're knackered and you sit down watching a Netflix thing in the evening and that's your the, the sum total of your life together as before we were doing so many more things. This suddenly then brought us together where we pressed pause on Netflix and we had this goal. Unfortunately, it was, um, it was all about me and I really didn't want it to be, but, you know, I wanted to minimise how much it affected her and I wanted to get better for me but also very much for her and for them so yeah the book is really about how we negotiate how awkward and difficult and complicated life can be sometimes and not let it beat you and I haven't no and I think I, I think that's what that's that's what makes it a good read because you're very open about you're questioning everything yourself yeah you know and I think that's what's the that's what brings the reader with you because you're you're looking at all this at one point you talk about someone who had, I can't remember what, illness, but you compare her, you think it, you call her very real world. Yeah, well, it's a friend of mine, she had a, an aneurysm. Yeah. So that was a proper thing. That, so, you know, doctors could point and say, you've had an aneurysm, this is what we need to do. And so she had clear-cut diagnosis and help, and I didn't. So it was, diff- you know, I was, it was like you said before, lots of people think, oh, this is all in the head, and they start to, you know, almost frown at it. It's very weird being in this position, having to defend yourself, and I didn't really want to... She never had to defend herself. She had this dreadful, you know, Holby City style occurrence. And, you know, doctors in white coats came to her aid. It felt weird to be in the position where those same doctors in white coats shrugged their shoulders at me. So yeah, it did feel a bit like a questionable um, condition. And a lot of the time there was all this soul searching thinking, have I done this to myself? Am I that dysfunctional in me? Because when I saw um, a number of these alternative therapists, when they realised that I didn't sound depressed to them and there was no problems in my marriage and um, work was going well. They started to ask about my um, my childhood. So they wanted to know... A, a, a hypnotherapist I went to see asked me if there was any trauma in my life before I was born. And I didn't know how to answer didn't that question. Know. And then more than one person wanted to know if my birth had been traumatic. And then... Others wanted to know if there had been trauma in the first seven years. So the moment I said that my mum and dad's marriage wasn't particularly good, they pounced on it. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Mm. And I thought, oh, is it, is it their fault? <laughs> am, I, am I this wildly dysfunctional product because my mum and dad's was up? I had no idea. I'd never really thought it affected me properly. Obviously, I'm aware it must have done in some sense, but I always felt I coped fairly well because we do. You only know what you know, and we're a single parent family. It was no, not a big deal. So yeah, they were constantly trying to find. This is why you're sick. That's why. If we f- sort this out, then you'll be fine. And when I consulted late in the book, I consult um, the psychotherapist Susie Orbach, and she says, "Oh, you know, you should have come to a psychotherapist a long time ago. You, you know, you don't need to bother with perhaps with so many of these alternative therapists. Although fine that you did, but if." you had come to see um, a, a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist, then maybe you would have become better sooner, which suggests then that it's mainly a psychological issue. And then, of course, as we said earlier, most people think, other people think it's a physical. For what it's worth, I've always thought it was physical, but, you know, what do I know? 
do you want to change the person you are? Yeah, to an extent. And then life comes back and I find excuses. So no, not to an extent, I do. So but when I did you, you mean change the person, do you mean change the person you were or change the person you are now? I want to be more mindful about my health. And I am to an extent, so I eat very well. Um, but And I'd like to go to a regular meditation class. I'd like to go to a regular yoga class. I'd like to do whatever else I'm supposed to do that's good for me. And I find excuses not to. I find things, I've always got a lot to do. I read a lot and I want to read a lot and I want to go out on my bike and oh, I've got to do this before the kids come back from school and then I've got a deadline. These are all excuses and I'm aware of that. And I find that unless I'm, I sign up to something and pay, that helps. I think I've paid, I've got to go now. I find excuses and don't do it. Hopefully in the same way that everybody else Always, you know, that, I guess that's why there are New Year's resolutions and that's why we all give up our New Year's resolutions on the 5th of January because we can't be asked anymore. But on the 1st of January, we are going to do them. And I find that I'm still there and I'm a bit disappointed in myself given what I've gone through. I would have thought this, it's worth the extra effort. So I do do the, I make the effort in fits and spurts. So after my relapse last year, I was suddenly doing 20 minutes of meditation twice a day and I'd stopped that long ago. But I'm panicking, so I re- revisit it. Do you think so? Is, is it the sense then you think that if you do too much, it's counterproductive and it and it and, yeah. it, and, it, and it robs you? Of I'm I'm scared. If I, I can't do too much, <clears throat> I have to be really careful. So, so if you were to do something, if you were to be forced for some emergency to do something far more physically demanding than than you than you normally do, do you think? So you think you'd be paying for what for? for days for that or yeah, for, if not weeks if yeah. not weeks so my instinct now is to say no before I never said no yep of course can you do this yep can you go there short notice of course really tight deadline that's fine so I, I could never say no because it was all exciting and fun and I'm now yeah noticing increasingly I say mm, no and I think that's a fallout of what I've gone through I've it was very very unpleasant for several years and then I very slowly got better I'm so grateful and thankful and relieved that I'm not there anymore and Christ I don't want to go back it's not the right attitude to take going forward because then I'm 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 being this cautious person that I'd never been before and I want life to be as open to me as it used to be so I I haven't yet found that balance there's another thing you said at the end about how you were sad that your don't to misquote you that your daughters wouldn't know the person you once were and that made me think as well because I thought well I mean our kids never know know us as as we as young that's very true but I guess we transmit what Mm. we can to them as we are now yeah and I suppose that goes down to the point of not wanting to see ourselves as diminished and I think that's I I kind of think we all owe it to ourselves I don't know to remind ourselves of that because Mm. I mean I think how we how we view older people I'm not putting us in that category but you know, that's obviously something for the future. I think the way we, we the attitude we can take to older people is, is unfair, really, and seeing mm. it as, you know, you're listened to less, you're less, less important. I think I think we need to turn it round and, and value... I think it is and, turning and, round and, as well. ...and value, and value yeah. age and wisdom. Baby and, boomers are not going quietly, and they're, they're rewriting yeah. the rules for um, retirement age now, which is, an, which is a huge positive. Yeah, because you you know you don't you don't have to diminish intellectually, other yeah. than forgetting a few things that you're probably better off forgetting anyway. And and physically, you know, we I think we all, we've all got to manage it. You know? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And you're right. When I so said you, that in the book about sorry for my daughters, I think ultimately I'm sorry for me because they're not going to miss anything they don't have. I just imagined 
it would be better if I was hammering home to them the many benefits of or, or the pleasures of getting on a bike and just going somewhere while we were on a bike rather than me sitting on the sofa saying oh you should really go on a bike mm. so you know we've done it we've done it in small we've, we've cycled around our neighborhood rather than for miles and miles and miles but yeah we would always do things we were very active as a family and my wife certainly notices that you know every weekend we would get on the train going to town or get in the car driving to the center of town because I grew up in London and I love London and she's Spanish so she it's nice seeing London through her eyes so I've I've never really taken it for granted so we now live in the suburbs and I I wanted my children very much to grow up with what I had and to show them in the last eight years we haven't we live in a very busy suburb here that's got every shop that they could want and the 13 year old has really lost her retail therapy anyway she doesn't need to go to Covent Garden she's got it all here but I kind of want to drag her into town almost if she whether she likes it or not because that's what we always used to do so I'm essentially slowly getting used to the fact that I'm saying goodbye to that person I was. It hasn't all gone, but there's a modified version here now that is slightly diminished. And that's sad. So I'm, yes, slowly trying to work my way through that and not lose all of that physical confidence that I took for granted for the first 42 years of my life. Um, Yeah, I'm so deconditioned after so many years of inactivity Mm. that I take that mental framework with me wherever I go. And it's a really destructive one. And it got to the point where, you know, as, as I said earlier, I looked, I googled my uh, symptoms initially to find out, and then I realised how scary it was, and I didn't do it anymore. But sometimes things will pop up, or there will be features in the newspaper, and they are quite terrifying. They're quite bad. There was a quite a big uh, documentary that debuted on Netflix last year, and this poor woman is going through awful things. So I'm constantly being reminded on the periphery of my vision just how bad a thing I may or may not have can get. And it does influence me. And obviously, as I mentioned in the book, four years after that initial non-diagnosis, I did see another NHS immunologist who said, you never had this in the first place. You don't have anywhere near enough symptoms. It's certainly that you have fatigue issues and it's mitochondrial, but we don't quite know why. But because I live for four years with the, the tag of it is chronic fatigue in some way, I am still today almost under its spell and as I said yeah it's that that peripheral vision frightens me about doing too much and what happens if I end up like them but if but what is the worst case scenario you see I, I, I mean I think, bound and not doing anything but do you think it's possible that by doing some physical activity you could aggravate it to the point where you could this camp says no this camp is very vociferous and says yes it's the worst thing you could possibly do so when I saw the the the, the woman who did the CBT with me last year after my relapse, she said, oh, just ignore those people. They're just talking rubbish. You have to do more and more activity. It's called graded exercise therapy. You're very unfit. You need to get over this sense that physical activity is bad. It's not. And then the woman whose documentary I just mentioned, I interviewed for a piece I wrote, and she said it's, you know, the worst thing you can do. Other people have also said similar, that if you do such thing as graded activity, it's worse because our bodies do not react in the same way as a healthy body. So whatever you do, do not do it. Okay, so so I, again, I'm in the middle thinking, what do I do? Who do I listen you to? You have to choose one, don't you? Um, yes, I suppose you have to choose one or you teeter between the two. And I'm because I'm not as bad as all of these people, because I'm not bed banned and never really was, I think I can go a little bit towards the... Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, I'm flattered because I don't quite know. Why a little bit? Because when I did go that way and did more activity and it was really bad, it terrified me and I ran quick to the other camp thinking, okay, okay, I made a mistake, I'm not going to go there again. Um, I'm a coward. It's basically, essentially, in some respect has made me a coward. 
So you need all this bravery to get up and go on with it every day and think, I'm going to do this, I'm going to walk more. Three years ago, largely at the behest of our daughters, we got a dog, but also my wife said, this will be really good for you, and get you out, you will do this thing. And because it became habit, I don't think about it anymore. And but I do go you really think that you're a coward? In some... Yeah, it's not, you know, this, it's interesting talking about it to you because it's not really something I articulate very much. And I guess I don't even really want to go there in my mind. But yes, yeah, I do. I'm, maybe coward is not the right word. Maybe I'm very self-protective. And I think there are re- good reasons for that. And I, but I wish to Christ I wasn't. I wish I were the way I used to be. But then you could argue the way I used to be possibly, if not landed me in this in the first place, and certainly contributed to it. What, what do you think you're protecting yourself from? You said you put, you're self-protective. Would you? Uh, of, of getting really bad again and getting incredibly physically tired, of damaging my body like this camp says is what happens when you push yourself physically. More than anybody, I wanted to snap out of it. I was furious, thinking, oh, f- still, come on, get out there. And that, but that's, what, that's mm. what pushes me to... To, to say the thing that of when you get to this point of making a decision mm. that what's governing the decision that's the that's the one thing that gives me pause and causes me to ask you because I think you haven't fully answered it yourself yeah in your head yet I think by the because, end of the book I had and then no, but I mean, life took over and then I was ambivalent again or confused again and I had to reset myself and it's a process mm. what I need essentially is to employ somebody like you to give me a kick up the ass, you know, and my wife has been that role for a long time, you know, to because I will take the easier option. Do you know what? But I mean, again, because you've mentioned that, I do. I mean, part of me thinks. I mean, it just sounds like some kind of old-fashioned boot camp thing. Mm. But I think the the body. Again, this is based on experience and a little bit of reading rather than any medical knowledge. But the body, it it, it adapts to what it does. So, yeah. so if if you if you don't do physical activity, you're tired and you're bad at physical activity, and then you you start doing it. It's uncomfortable, but your body gets into the habit of doing it. And neither of us knows what would happen if you were forced, for some reason, you know, if you mm. had to rescue one of your daughters in an emergency rather than yeah. just a school run you had to do something like this and, and this yeah. this was sustained over a number of days mm. we don't know your body might adapt your body might adapt to and it has that's and, the and, curious and, thing and that goes again back to the argument of whether it's physical or psychological on holiday i'm much better i'm still getting very tired because i do more but i do much more on holiday than i would here and our conclusion Again, it's not a medical one, so we could be, my wife and I, we could be talking nonsense, but there's a lot of bad memories here because that, that corner shop was the one where, you know, I could barely make it home eight years ago and going to the shops on the bike with my younger daughter uh, and I had to, you know, carry on the bike. I just didn't have the strength for it. So this is, this neighbourhood is a neighbourhood of my unhealth, my, my declining health. If we go to holiday to somewhere in Italy or Greece I've never been to before, I don't have that barrier because I never walked down that road before. So there's this, something happens and I think it's, it's a purely psychological thing, thinking I'm going to be fine. I still do, as I said before, do get very tired because I'm physically unfit. But I find I do more and the hangover is nowhere near as bad as I had anticipated it. Mm. So I try to bring that mindset back and I do. And each time I come back from a holiday... I do better than I was doing before. It's again, it's a, it's a really gradual process because we can only afford to go on holiday once a year. Ideally, I would live on holiday, and I think I probably do much 
But it's interesting, isn't it? They, you know, it's just walking around here. All these memories, there's mm. all these, which I'm not consciously aware of, but, but they again, are that's there. A, that's, I guess, it's a pattern of you. You've yes, I'm got in unhealthy patterns. From, yeah, from yeah, from doing it for a long time. And talking about it to you, bring it out in here. I'm amazed that I have been careless enough to let myself fall into this pattern because I was never going to. Mm. But then you, you know, can see that if your if your body if your body performs on holiday to yeah. again as well as someone who hasn't done mm. much physical activity could be yeah. expected to then that's got to inform you that the body can, can work yeah I think ultimately it comes back to the same thing feeling that pure and total physical exhaustion is so unpleasant and takes such a long time to overcome that I do my best to avoid it and because I've arranged my universe accordingly so if I have a job in town on Wednesday and today is Monday I won't do too much today and tomorrow, so I have the physical reserves to get me into town. Because if I did too much, but as, and as you said, because work, you know, is so important. So if there's a job on Tuesday and Wednesday, I will do it and suck it up. It, but I will feel dreadful on Thursday and Friday. Maybe not dreadful. Not, but but not good the, at all but, on but Thursday and Friday. Thing you, but say you've got two days at two work, at working <clears> on a Monday and Wednesday. If you do something that's physically beneficial but restorative, you know, yoga to return to I think it's the best example things like that mm. would that would that lessen the impact of the two days either side working or would it or would it help you recover from one and help you prepare for the next I don't know okay there's there there's two schools of thought that I keep on returning to I can tell you that from my own perspective the the physical tiredness is so extreme that I don't feel strong enough to do the yoga mm. many times now I will push through my entire 10 minutes you know but I will push myself through. but it, it's it feels like again it, this is histrionic so I'm not I'm a bit wary of saying but it's I feel like I've been tenderised by cricket bats I can feel muscle aches everywhere because I went into town the other day and you think really is it possible to feel this bad even though I am unfit all I did was going to Covent Garden Soho or whatever wow hmm. I think you're doing I think you're doing really well and I as I say Really enjoyed the book. I'm going to try and get your name right again. Nick Jewardon. Perfect. You got it right. So your book available in all good shops. Get well soon. I really enjoyed it. And I think people can go on that journey with you and they can make up their mind about these various treatments. Mm. But hot yoga, I've banged on about enough. But I shall look it up. Well, thanks very much for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you very much to Nick Jordan. Find out more about his work at nickjordan.co.uk. That's N-I-C-K-D-U-E-R-D-E-N.co.uk. Healthy Beast is at Healthy Beast Podcast on Instagram. Thank you very much. Goodbye.